From Yahoo Finance, this is Ballots and Dollars, a podcast about the politics that affect your pocketbook. I'm Rick Newman. And I'm Alexis Christophorus. $1.4 trillion. That is the amount of outstanding federal student loan debt in the U.S. It has become a hot topic of debate in the primary contest among Democratic presidential hopefuls. And Rick, the 20-plus candidates, I guess, are staking out their positions on whether to make college free in some form or provide some kind of relief for student loan borrowers. It sounds good, right, on paper. But, you know, I'm curious, how would it work exactly? And, of course, the big question Who's it going to benefit? <laughs> and who's going to pay? Oh, yes. That All right. little question. Every time something's free, it costs somebody something, right? Uh, but you're right. This is catching on. Now, I think the uh, number of candidates, I think, is 24. At last count, I, yes. I don't think every single candidate actually has a plan on student debt forgiveness or more affordable college. But this is a uh, big part of Bernie Sanders' plan. Elizabeth Warren uh, has a version. Uh, Bernie Sanders had this plan back in 2016. I mean, a lot of what Bernie Sanders is talking about is basically his plan platform from 2016 with a few uh, modest updates. But Elizabeth Warren has had something to say about this. Pete Buttigieg has had something to say about this. He says he and his husband Chasen have, they are managing more than $100,000 in student debt. Between them. Between them. And that mostly is from uh, his husband, who is a teacher and had to get a master's degree to become a teacher. Uh, that's that's a uh, a bit of a catch twenty two when you do that because you have to pay for a master's degree, but then teaching doesn't pay all that much. I mean, so <laughs> yes. so you have to <clears throat> kind of think that one through. But uh, yeah, I mean, you mentioned one point four trillion dollars in debt, and uh, I, you know, student debt is considered. Uh, good debt when you uh, analyze debt as a thing. So, uh, you, because you you're know, investing in yourself. Exactly right. So, uh, you know, finance sort of personal finance experts say this is the kind of debt that makes sense to take on um, if you're just careful about it because you're in you're bu- basically buying knowledge, you're buying uh, credentials and capability. And there's da- plenty of data that shows that people with uh, higher degrees, college people with college degrees, earn a lot more than people without college degrees. People with master's degrees earn a lot more than people without them. Um, so but when, you, comes down when to, you generalize over over the population, right. it seems like a good return on investment. But then you get a lot of cases where people have a lot of debt um, and perhaps uh, something changed about the field they went into or they didn't choose a field uh, p- particularly well. And they're just not able to make uh, enough money to pay off the debt. Um, so that's where you get into this problem with people who have – you know, some people have well over $50,000 worth of debt for a bachelor's degree. For uh, uh, more advanced degrees, you can easily have more than $100,000 worth of debt. Uh, and that can become financially debilitating. At a very young age when you're still trying to yep. get your feet under you and be able to afford things like a home, roof over your head, perhaps a car. Yep. 40 million Americans have student loan debt. And there was a recent survey that showed the number one regret among graduates, undergraduates, is taking out too many loans. You know, And it's always a question. Say you get into a school, uh, an elite college, but you can't afford it. Right. So you go to a lesser than college. I, I hate to call it that, but a lesser than college mm-hmm. for the same, to study the same thing, get the same kind of degree. You know, when it when it comes to that, not that I'm asking you to be a college guidance counselor now, but you know, how do you make that right decision? Do you say, okay, this is an investment in me, so I'll take out the loans it's going to take to go to the elite school with the hope that that degree will get me a better job, perhaps a higher paying job, 
than the lesser than college. Right. So uh, so this gets to the so we're putting aside for a moment the question of should the government in some fashion right. pay off this debt after you've taken it on. Uh, we're going to the preliminary question of how much debt should you take on in the first place and and what kind of debt and for what exactly. You know this is a family decision. Um, I mean I have one kid who's graduated from college and another who is in college, uh, and we've had to go through these decisions. I mean how much is a college education worth? And there's a whole spectrum because uh, some people think that it's worth paying the full price of a uh, of an education at a private university, which is the those are the ones that cost sixty grand and or more, mm-hmm. uh, and then you know. <clears throat> plus books and room and board and all the other stuff. Um, then, you, or you, or is it? Does it make sense to go to a public university? You can go all the way down to community college where it's cheaper. You can do co-ops. Uh, you can look for scholarships. You can work while you do it, but it takes a lot longer. I mean, there's this whole spectrum of choices. And f- I think the first thing is that families need to figure this out together. And I think what happens in some of the, uh, mo- the some of the hardship cases, I think what happens is students are a little bit on their own without uh, guidance or the benefit of somebody who's been through. Through this mm-hmm. and um, kind of knows how to think about a big investment like this, and they take every loan that comes their way. They take every loan they can find, and like younger people, uh, think you know everything will be fine in five years when I have to start <laughs> paying this back. Right. And they don't really develop a plan for how, well, mm-hmm. how much is that going to add up to exactly, and. Um, how can I get out of it if things go south? I mean, I think a lot of people don't know that you can't. There's no way out. I mean, you cannot really declare your bank bankruptcy to get out of out of uh, student loans. So I think uh, before you start talking about forgiving student debt, um, it is totally worth figuring out how to make good, solid decisions about these investments. And I think part of the problem is that families and students just a lot of the times are not really equipped. They're not that in, they're not as informed as they should be mm-hmm. about how much this is all going to cost down the road. What are the options? What happens if you don't get a good job? Uh, you know, just the assumptions that you make that you may not think too much about. So that would be the, the sort of the best way to approach this. And there, you know, there are there's a lot of re- there are a lot of resources out there for people to understand how to do this. But then we get to the question of, well, if it turns out that you have all this student debt um, and it is really um, shackling you financially, should the government get involved and help you out? And that's where we get to programs such as Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren. They, they sort of have, uh, as with many other issues, they are sort of setting the dis- framing the discussion here. And um, Bernie Sanders would forgive all student debt. Um, and he would uh, pay for that. That's expensive. Uh, that's uh, that's uh, probably over a trillion dollars altogether. But um, he admitted he has to raise taxes to pay. Well, for he it. he was talking about health care when um, when he said when he admitted he would have to raise taxes on middle class families. Mm. But I think Bernie Bernie Sanders favors a financial transaction tax, um, which is kind of a kind of a catch all for some of the Democrats who have programs. Like, How are you going to find it? Oh, financial transactions tax. Just going to be a few bucks on every trade. Um, and Wall Street, right. Wall Street. Right. rich and it won't have any, don't worry, just be billionaires paying it. That's not exactly right. Elizabeth Warren's is a little bit more measured. Um, she would forgive uh, student debt uh, based up to certain levels of household income and it would phase out up to, uh, the, I forget the exact number, but it's well over $100,000 and you would get less relief at higher income levels. Um, but hers would also be very expensive. <clears throat> but a very important, uh, perhaps even a caveat that's even more important than forgiving a student debt is that uh, this only works if then part two of your plan is that you make college free to attend. Because if you just forgive student debt at one point in time, 
and then people just start ta- students just start taking right, out loans a again. Horrible cycle, right? It's just horrible cycle. But all you've all you've done is um, you've done something that just uh, benefits one uh, demographic in time. That I mean, so what's going to happen to all the people who come afterward? Are you not going to forgive their debt? And why right. just favor? Why give this one payout to just this one group? So. They, these plans only make sense, and I'm not. And I'm not even sure they do make sense under any circumstances. But they only make sense if then college is free, or it is free for uh, you know based on some sort of affordability scale, so that there would be no student debt in the future. Because if you forgive, forgive all the student debt today, but then we just start over again, accumulating student debt. What right. have you What have you accomplished exactly? There are countries though that do offer students free college. Right. Right. Um, the Netherlands. France, different parts of Europe, Iceland, um, and and perhaps people in this country look and say, well, if they can do it, why can't we do it? Yeah, I think it's very similar to healthcare in this way because the reason they can do it is because that's how they started doing it. Uh, or at some point in the past, um, they made a decision to transition into that type of system. Um, and I think in a lot of cases, it's, it's parts. Some things are free, but not everything is free. And we have we have a different system. So you have uh, millions of Americans invested in the system as it is today, um, when there is no co- a student debt forgiveness, um, and you have generations of Americans, which includes me. I'll say. Um, I mean, I, I took out student loans, um, and I had to pay them off over time. And we used to have no problem with that, um, for the most part. That used to be a sensible thing. Now, I think the, I think the days when we had no problem with that, really, mm-hmm. were days when it was when high, uh, college education was cheaper. I mean, right. co- college tuition has risen uh, far faster than inflation for a long time. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so. Uh, you could you could get a decent college education much more affordably 40 years ago than you can today. So I think that um, suggests that there are, are things we should be doing. But to my mind, just forgiving debt for people who have already made those decisions is not the right so way. So you're to saying do it. going forward, if you want to try to do something, find a way to make tuition free going forward. But those of us who may have student debt, outstanding. Too bad. Uh, I guess I wouldn't be that harsh, but that, I think that's the kind of the idea. And by the way, we did have the GI Bill, that's um, right. which was which was in a way um, free uh, education, but it was linked to something, yes. which is what you which is that you served um, in the military. So if you served in the military, you qualified for the GI Bill. Um, you you had to do something to but get that. But some of the plans uh, that the Democratic presidential hopefuls have do come with sort of they do. stipulations, That's don't right. they? Right, you have to do X in order to get yeah. Y. So Pete Buttigieg, uh, I don't think he's has a, has formalized everything about this plan yet, but he has said that he likes the idea of student debt forgiveness or free college in exchange for some kind of service. So that could be a national service program. It could be military service. Uh, I'm sure there could be several categories of Mm -hmm. things that would qualify. Uh, Now, you know, he's a veteran. Uh, He did serve in the military. Um, And he also is a little more centrist on a lot of these questions than Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders, who basically do represent the leftern uh, and uh, left. What's the right word? I don't want to say leftist, but leftern. They're they're on the extreme end of the the spectrum. Yeah, extreme is a loaded word. And people I'm trying call, to help you people, out. Right? So people call them progressives. I don't like the word progressives because I don't know what progressive means. Right. I, progress. What does that? Yeah. You know, and if you're not a progressive, are you a regressive? Right. I mean, 
So they represent the uh, left leaning side okay. of the Democratic Party, right. let's say. So that means more government involvement, more government programs, higher taxes to pay for it all. Um, so Elizabeth, Elizabeth Warren's plan, which again, she would forgive some student debt and it would be for the neediest. So the people with the lowest household income would get the most debt forgiveness. And in some cases, that would be complete debt forgiveness. Um, and then add on top of that free college. Um, that plan would cost like $1.2 trillion over 10 years from? or $120 billion a year. Where is it? We're taxing again. We're yeah, taxing I mean, the so 1%. She's got it all figured out. She has a plan, as she likes to say. I have a plan for that. Mm. Um, and she would get the money from her wealth tax. Uh, that is uh, the, sur the surtax, or it's not really a surtax. It's a tax on all wealth above $50 million. And she uh, let's, let's take her at her word um, and say she could fund that. Um, I still think you have a problem. I think there's a giant fairness problem, and, a, and I think it would create a huge perception problem among voters. Right. Um, so if you happen to if you paid off the last of your if you paid off your student debt for twenty years mm -hmm. and you made your last payment last year, you would get nothing. Correct. But if you were simply born five years later and you and you've been paying for fifteen years and you have five years left. Uh, you would get five years of debt repayment. And if you just graduated and you have a schedule of payments that goes out 20 years, uh, my, my, I mean, I don't take this personally because I was quite comfortable. Like I thought, fine, I got an education um, right. and I was happy to, uh, you know, this, I'm paying happy my dues. to pay this money. Right. I got something for this money. Right. So I don't feel bitter about this, but I think my loans took 15 years to pay off. Mm -hmm. um, and that surprised me. I mean, it surprised me to be in my 30s and still paying, paying off. That, writing that check, yeah. right? But <laughs> yeah. you know what? There, and you, you hit on a key part here because is this fair? In order to benefit some, will others get hurt? And there is that terrible sweet spot that I think millions of Americans fall into, the middle class and upper middle class, where you make just too much to get any kind of real financial aid, but you don't make enough to say to your kid, you know what? If you get into Harvard, we can pay that out of pocket, no problem. What happens to them in this scenario? I think that's I think that's a giant popular. I think that's a giant problem. I think that's a political problem. Um, what happens to them is I think they get kind of pissed off. Um, <laughs> yeah. and, and you know the other thing that happens in these scenarios is you have policymakers who say, well, if you're wealthy and you make one hundred and fifty thousand dollars a year, but then you have families who live, let's say, on the coast and they make one hundred and fifty thousand dollars a year, and you got both parents working sometimes in order to make that much money, mm -hmm. and everybody feels a little bit harried, and they're looking around saying, I'm not rich. Right. What, what do you mean I'm rich? And by the way, we're working here and we're doing what we're supposed you to be what? doing Too to pay often, our bills. We're not asking for anything. Yeah, but their why voices do you, get lost in the chorus. They really do. We actually have an analogy here uh, to the Affordable Care Act. So. Um, what the Affordable Care Act did is it provided subsidies to purchase health care in the it, within one of these excuse me one of these government exchanges, mm -hmm. and those phase out uh, uh, at certain income levels. So, for a family of four <clears throat> that makes about a hundred thousand dollars a year mm -hmm. in household income, so that's one earner if there's one or both, however many earners there are. Um, you don't qualify for Obamacare subsidies if you earn around $100,000, and that changes over time its index to inflation. And there are a lot of a lot of families that earn 110 or 20 or 30 thousand dollars a year, and they're not living like they, kings they off the fat they, of the they, land. They're not living like kings, right? And in fact, 
for certain families who fall in that bracket and don't get uh, insurance coverage through an employer and they have to go out and buy a plan on their own, those are the people who are just getting screwed in the uh, healthcare insurance market with you know easily $30,000 a year just in premiums. And that's because some policymakers said, well, the cutoff for helping uh, you know Americans who need help is this income level that we sort of ar- arbitrarily decide with, yeah. is who should qualify and who shouldn't. And if you're on the wrong side of that curve, that does not seem like a very good policy to you. I wonder why in this election cycle, college affordability is really front and center, because I don't remember it being that way in 2016 or when Obama was elected the second time. It just wasn't. It was, yes, it was always a great talking point because people could rally behind it. But there really seems to be a push very early on in this primary contest to talk about it. I think it's because we have two candidates now who are getting a lot of attention for their ideas. Uh, So Bernie Sanders was an outlier in 2016. um, But Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren together are a little bit too prominent to uh, call uh, outsiders or outliers. Mm -hmm. Um, And they are both um, uh, talking about this, and they're both getting attention. In fact, it it looks as if Elizabeth Warren is going to eclipse Bernie Sanders as the sort of torchbearer for that wing of the Democratic Party. Uh, she's got a lot of momentum. She seems very energetic. She's not as angry as Bernie. You know, she mm-hmm. has, somehow she seems to have a little more appeal. Um, but I, it's also worth pointing out that um, Bernie Sanders did have this idea in 2016, uh, and some people liked it. Barack Obama even had an idea when he was president. Um, it was not total debt forgiveness, but a, a more measured way to uh, – provide a free or highly subsidized college education for more people using community colleges. So relying on community colleges, and by the way, doing what you can to steer people away from the for-profit colleges that that are so problematic, uh, you know, very bad outcomes um, at most of those colleges in terms of the amount people pay versus on the gra- per- versus the graduation. Kamala graduation Harris went after them like big that. time when she was a California Lot, lots attorney of other general. Stuff too. Yeah. So Obama's idea was to kind of reinvigorate community community colleges, which, which are kind of a forgotten part of the higher education system, and then uh, use the federal government to maybe maybe provide some seed money, but also to do things like. Uh, help community colleges connect with local employers so that those colleges are offering uh, courses in things that local employers actually need. So instead of, you know, the famous basket weaving uh, or some of these liberal arts um, things that are – I mean, I was a liberal arts major, so I'm allowed to say this. (laughs) Squishy, let's say, uh, and don't necessarily produce skills that you can can exploit right in the job market as soon as you graduate. Um, More like a trade school, if you will. Or courses All, uh, that would lend very, themselves very, very to Very similar. That. Uh, yeah. And um, yeah, very similar ideas. But if you want to, you, you know, think about all the technology fields, for example. Um, you could get trained as some kind of medical medical technologist, or you could go as far as to get a computer science degree right. or some computer kind of computer science training from a community college based on how ambitious you are, what you think you want to do with yourself, uh, well, you and how a, long you want to go to school, which is also a factor. On here. a state-by-state basis, there are a few states that now offer free community college. Tennessee and Oregon yeah. are just a couple. And actually, New York State, I think it was almost two years ago now, started offering free public uh, college for two and four year public colleges. And a number of Republicans came out and said, wait a minute, 
What about the private colleges? Mm -hmm. And I think that that is a valid point. What about the private colleges? Well, I'm glad, I'm glad you brought this all up because uh, a lot of things that people talk about at the federal level are actually happening at the state level. Mm -hmm. uh, minimum wage increases is a great example. Right. Um, and that's a better way to do it in many cases because states uh, can do this based on con local conditions that they know about. Um, they uh, Again, that's the best way to, in a way, get the best outcome because you can connect the education with the employer. I mean, Washington doesn't is there's no way Washington can really do that effectively because it's not their job to, you know, know what some kid in Oregon wants to study, but the employers in Texas. You know, I mean, like, right. how do they do that? Well, the states actually know that. So this then we get into this whole question of public schools versus private schools. I mean, private schools are. Uh, not be those are private institutions. They are not. I mean, they have to uh, you know abide by the law. But they're not but they bound are not by beholden these. To, right. They don't have a state charter. They're not beholden. You know, they were not uh, founded under the lend lease program or whatever Abraham Lincoln got started that started all the ag schools back in the 1800s. Um, and they don't have those obligations. These are just private institutions that sink or swim on their own. Mm -hmm. And we actually have seen a few of them failing lately. Some small um, you know private uh, colleges have been failing or, th or threatened with failure. Um, but you, so you, let's talk about the economics of higher education, and this is a big factor. So, uh, you know, we have a uh, capacity for uh, higher education in the U.S. economy, however many desks there are at all the colleges and universities, from community college up to Harvard. Um, there's that. There's a certain capacity. There's a certain demand for that capacity, and if the demand goes up, as with anything, um, for something that's in limited supply, w what always happens is the price goes up. So if you do something like say we're going to make college free in certain se sectors of this uh, part of the economy for people who meet these qualifications, you're going to have more people attending college, which is good. That's a good thing. But you're also going to have price increases above the norm uh, in the parts of the industry that can do it, and that is the private. That's going to be the private universities. So if you so if you have a federal program that puts more people into uh, higher education and into colleges and universities, you're going to get price hikes that are going to affect the people who are not getting the subsidies. Right. That is exactly they'll get. Squeezed. That's exactly what we saw with Obamacare uh, in the cost of insurance policies for people who don't get the subsidies, who make too much money for qual to qualify for the subsidies, and who don't have the benefit of a big employer negotiation on their behalf. And that was about 3 million people, which is very relatively small. Mm -hmm. I think that the squeeze could be bigger if you got into, um, if you started doing that, what we're talking about here with education. And again, these are, this is going to fall on middle class families who don't feel like they're rich necessarily, mm -hmm. but who are standing there listening to other people say, well, you're rich. So if you're, so, if you think this is a hardship, that's nothing compared with other people. I just think that's bad politics. Yeah, I, I would personally find it very refreshing if the candidates came out with a plan that actually, you know, helped those forgotten millions that we've just been talking about. But it's the early stages. We're going to be hearing a lot more about their plans as these 20-odd candidates continue to come out with their plans and thoughts regarding college affordability on both sides of the aisle. So we want to thank everyone for listening to Ballads and Dollars from Yahoo Finance. You can always follow us on Twitter at Alexis TV News and Rick J. Newman. We'll be back next week with another brand new episode. Don't miss it. In the meantime, what should they all do, Rick? They should, uh, what should they all do? Man, They should go head over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star I was going to say, thank you, I'm sorry, I was going to say check out my blog on uh Well, they on, can do uh, that Yahoo too, Finance. as long as they leave us a five-star rating. Yeah, fine. All right, sure. we'll see you all next week. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for joining us.